welcome to the Creative Diaries. Today I'm here with Issa Bonacera. Hello. Hello, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to think, actually. When did we first meet? Um, It's a weird question, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no. So I think we met about a year and a half ago. Yeah. It was like right after I came back from Edinburgh last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I think it was like, was it when we went to see Phil Wang at the Landor? Or, I don't know. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was then. That yeah. Was, yeah, that was such <laughs> Anyway, that was so good. It was so good. So I would definitely wanted to ask you to do this because I wanted to learn more about your journey getting into stand-up <laughs> and if your family was creative. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, so <laughs> in terms of my journey to stand up so i i like didn't know about stand up uh, until i came to the uk to study okay. <laughs> because there isn't much of a stand up experience uh, in spain i'm from spain <laughs> okay <laughs> um, where do people guess you're from that you, that you say i'm from oh, spain actually uh in my edinburgh show this year i do i did ask the audience where they thought my accent was from and i got iceland a lot okay and i got eastern europe a lot um so i guess like people just suck yeah <laughs> more a place in accents because i'm, I'm clearly spanish <laughs> yes yeah so what was your question sorry oh if your family was creative oh no not that all uh my dad worked uh, at a bank my mom well my mom uh, was a housewife is a housewife i'm talking about them in the past tense like they're dead but they're very alive <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so alive uh they're still doing the same stuff uh my mother do paint she paints a lot so I guess that's creative, but I mean, it's just like a hobby. It's not like something that she pursues professionally. Uh, and yeah, they they sort of like were expecting uh, me to become or a lawyer or an engineer or something like that. And they're so, they don't know how they feel about me doing comedy at all. Also, they, can, they don't understand anything that I say oh. when I do something because <laughs> they speak Spanish and they don't get it. But that's all right. Yeah. So growing <laughs> up, were you the one to make jokes? Were you the class clown? Or were you, did you do any kind of like creative classes like improv or acting? Oh, um. so yeah, I was like a bit of a of a class clown. <laughs> I would like, I used to, I used to get really good grades, but I would also get in trouble a lot in school because I was like always trying to make people laugh and the teachers were always annoyed with me. But the fact that I got good grades made them even more annoyed because they couldn't really, like, punish me. Okay. <laughs> um, and then, like, I started, like, doing, like, a bit of drama after school. It was, like, a community, like, project in my hometown. So I got started with acting there. And then the, the place that they gave us to perform were, like, really dumb. So one year I decided to, to write a play with uh, the other kids that were in the theater group. And I so I wrote a play called Mystery After Class. <laughs> and it was about uh, students in a high school that are trying to find out why their classmates are disappearing. So they stay after class to see whether there's something insidious happening in their high school that's taking like kids. 
And it turns out that it was just like, <laughs> it's just, it was so dumb. It was so dumb. The ending of the play was that they, there was it was the flu. It was the flu. <laughs> 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 so like I invited all my friends and my teachers to come see the, this original play that I, that I wrote. And they were like, oh my God, this is so so dumb uh wait they are, do they actually tell you <laughs> no they my teachers didn't tell me but okay. they also were not oh this is great congratulations okay. they were like that was a play <laughs> <laughs> the it, it have all gone up from from that okay. <laughs> how old were you when you did that so i was like 14 oh, around okay. 14 15 uh yeah so like i didn't like know about like structuring a play or like how to write things properly i was just like writing like jokes and dumb stuff yeah okay and when did you decide to move to london uh so i was 22 and i just graduated from university i uh, i went to study in in michigan um i decided to come over to do my uh, phd in in uh, in Cambridge, and I discovered comedy, and I fell in love with comedy, and I drop out. Okay. <laughs> I drop out from my PhD, uh, and then I moved to London just because there's much uh, there's a big like comedy circuit in London, and I wanted to continue doing that. So that's why why I moved here around like 2017. Around. Oh yeah, not oh that my long god, ago. we moved here like the same year yeah and we are neighbors that's crazy <laughs> yeah we have similar tastes i think <laughs> and what did you study in university so i i did engineering and physics in michigan and then when i moved to the uk i wanted to do a phd in applied physics and i, I really enjoyed it I, it was like an amazing it like the research was so interesting i was like super into it and such a nerd and, and massive nerd like a proper nerd um but my my supervisor was awful <laughs> he was like so mean he will throw tantrums uh he will get angry at the postgraduate student over nothing so and like it, it got to the point in which my research was not giving me much joy and like comedy was like making me so happy that i decided to, to quit my my research and give comedy a try but then <laughs> I have to get a job anyway <laughs> because it's so hard to make a living out of comedy. Uh, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, so how did you get started in comedy? Oh, yeah. So it was actually the the first week uh, of uh, my PhD in Cambridge. I just moved over there um, and I met sort of like a group of people, you know, in those like freshers week events. And one of them, uh, her name is Miss she's amazing uh she she really wanted to audition for a comedy that's run by the cambridge footlights uh, like a standard comedy and i didn't have like i didn't have lots of friends at the time because i just moved to cambridge so i was like yeah i'll come with you i'll audition with you i'll tag along i just wanted to be social and i auditioned for for the footlights night and we both got a spot and i did it and it was amazing. I was like, oh my God, I was in a high for like two days because it felt so great to tell jokes and have like people laugh. It made me feel so good. And then I got hooked on it and I couldn't stop doing it. <laughs> it's like a curse. <laughs> yeah. 
So how long after that did you do the Soho Young Lab? So it was when I moved uh, to London. So it was in around 2017, around then. Yeah, I I first did the Sketch Lab. So that an amazing like class at Soho Theatre where you can like like meet other people and write sketches. And I met a group of friends like for out of that, which was amazing because I moved to London, didn't know anyone. Uh, and then I took the stand-up one with Andrew Doyle. That was also incredible. And then I took the comedy plus, but I'm addicted to the Soho Theatre courses. Because okay. <laughs> because it's like, it's like, there's amazing thing that you can do on Saturday mornings. And I will be like in bed and just like wake up until, not wake up until 2 p.m. if I didn't have that thing to do. So it's like, a good excuse to get on the habit of writing comedy like every weekend or every so often have so like a target to have uh something written by yeah Saturday. yeah so yeah the great experience to do great amazing to make those connections with soho theater because they have all those amazing performance so, yeah very happy that i did that yeah no <laughs> yeah. that's amazing what were some of the main things you learned starting out like in cambridge and at the soho theater did you learn writing tips or people give you some advice early on yes um one of the the lessons that i learned because when i first started writing comedy i was like writing things that i thought people will find funny so i would like watch other comedians and uh, realize what things make the audience laugh Uh, but then when i would like try that style of comedy myself it does it didn't really work uh, so one of the first lessons that I learned is that I don't have to write for other people I have to write stuff that I find funny because if I find it funny then I can sell it on stage and people will be on board if I'm doing something that just doesn't feel like me people will not get on board people will not laugh so that was like the first thing that I learned when I was in Cambridge and then when I moved to London, I started taking these courses. I learned uh, sort of like more about the structure of jokes, how to make jokes land more, uh, delivery, how to deliver my jokes better, uh, how to start a set, how to finish a set, L- little comedy tricks. But like, I mean, those comedy tricks are just to enhance your your comedy. They are not. They don't make you funny by default. <laughs> So it's I think like it's about finding what the things that you find funny and talking about those even if at the beginning people uh recoil a little bit because when I said doing comedy I I will go to a very dark place because I have a very dark sense of humor and I really like to say <laughs> you know to tell dark jokes and at the beginning people will recoil but then I learned sort of like how to like make those jokes in a way that people will not find alienating ah hmm. and what was your first year going to edinburgh so i went to edinburgh in 2017 and i just i really wanted to go because oh everyone that that i knew doing comedy were going to edinburgh it just sounded like a really cool experience to have uh i didn't know that you have to 
really really prepare for your, <laughs> your first hour <laughs> like it, oh wait you did a full hour your yeah, first year i was like so stupid so apparently like in comedy for anyone listening so the the strategy is that you first go with like half an hour with like a body and then you do another year you do 45 minutes and then you keep doing 45 minutes until you have sort of like a machine behind you uh, that can support you and can sort of like make sure that your first hour is seen by industry so it can like propels you into a career I didn't know that. I just like put it an hour. Everyone told me, oh, that's stupid. But I couldn't back out of there because I already have the venue. And like, it was not that bad. I learned a lot from doing it. And also, I'm just like thinking that even if I, I, I waited to do my first hour, there isn't a guarantee that it will take me anywhere because the people that get nominated for the new camera awards are like, just, it's just six people. And how many people do first out so like the probabilities are quite low to get yeah. nominated for an award so you might as well get the pressure of your shoulder um since then i've been doing hours and i think because of that i'm becoming a better comedian and a better writer um and so and and sort of like i'm telling myself that i'm okay with <laughs> <laughs> my decision but actually deep inside i know that it was like a really <laughs> dumb choice Oh well, <laughs> it's hard to know. I think someone actually said that in the in the stand up course when we had our industry talk. Like, oh, you do your hour at Edinburgh this year, and I was like, oh my god, because I went last year for a week and a half just reviewing, and thank God I did because I would have probably have tried. Yeah, if it doesn't do well, I do care what people think, and you yeah. know, at the end of the day, so I probably would have like. But then you're way funnier than me, so it's no. fine. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first hour, like, didn't do very well. I didn't got, like, massive audiences. Didn't go like, great reviews. But it doesn't matter because it's, like, a learning experience. Yeah. Uh, like, people, when they're going to book you in a club, they don't look at your first, like, your Edinburgh hour from, like, three years ago. They don't care about that. Yeah. They care about you being funny. So I might not have sort of like the credit to to be like oh I got nominated for newcomer award, but uh, I do have the comedy chops to prove that I can be funny in a club, uh, which I think for me is like very important. Yeah. Um, and also I, I have done now three hours in Edinburgh. So I did my my first hour in 2017. Great mistake. From an industry standpoint, <laughs> my second hour—I <laughs> thought that was a name for a second. <laughs> <laughs> cool happy the, the name was Wow. That's that was the oh. name of my hour. It was <laughs> uh, it was all around bad choices. Uh, my second hour. Uh, it was a character comedy show called Alcoholic about Spanish artists, like, and I will paint on stage. It was like very fun to do. That went better. Mm. Uh, and then my third hour, which I did this year, called The Great Emptiness, which was a theatrical stand-up show about space, did so much better than the other two, and I got a bunch of very good reviews. So. I hope that my next hour would do even better. And then every time that I go to Edinburgh, my, my audiences grow. Yeah. Uh, because they sort of like trust more than I will deliver a good show. So uh, eventually, uh, it's taking me longer, but eventually I will get to a point in which I think I will have like a show that will do very well in Edinburgh. I think my show already have done well. 
So uh, what I could have done is have gone like do half an hour, forty five minutes, forty five minutes, then an hour. Yeah. But I will not have become the comedian that I am now. I'm talking about myself like I'm the shit. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a long way to go. But I think that for me, comparing myself with myself, I don't think that I will have been as good as I feel I am now as I would have been have I taken the long road. Yeah. Yeah. With the shows. <laughs> How far in advance do you plan your Edinburgh show? Are you gigging now for next August? Yeah. So uh, I, I'm preparing two shows and I don't know which one I'm going to take to Edinburgh. I, I'm doing a horror comedy show, which is something that I always wanted to do. Yeah. And I have already, <laughs> I have already done that show uh, at the um, uh, Brighton Horror Fest and I have done a preview of it at the Wilmore just like throwing like an hour of ideas. So I already have uh, something to start with that I can polish throughout the year uh, and then I have another show called Miss Beehive and it's a show about health and the bees okay. <laughs> and that is like I'm writing that one because of uh, recent things that have happened in my life in the past month in which I, I got ill very ill and then I have to go through recovery and sort of like my ref- my reflections about health and how hard is being healthy nowadays and so mm. and so so I'm doing that out of, like, I have a story that I, I want to tell. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm working on it. And also, I think I have, like, half an hour of material on that. I know that the hour, the horror comedy hour that I have and the half an hour that I have for the other show are not, like, my best material. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's 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 good just to throw something on the paper to start with. So I'm already planning uh, those shows for Edinburgh I already have sort of like an idea what they're going to be what advice would you give to people that want to go like venue wise for people that are yeah. going for the first time so I would personally uh, lots of people talk about like how much they spend money wise going to Edinburgh and I hear stories about people spending £10,000 producing a show to take to Edinburgh and I understand that goes with uh, a cost of like producer and directors and PR and venue and so on. So, so I, I would say that if you're gonna choose, if you if you are not established in in comedy, don't go f- to spend lots of money on a PR campaign. <laughs> uh, just go for for a PR that can give you get you reviewers in, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of comedians that spend thousands and thousands of pounds in PR and they don't get the coverage that they are expecting but that's because they are not a household name yet so obviously magazines and publications that want to write about comedians are gonna pick the the names that are on tv they're not gonna pick you if they don't know who you are so you want to get a PR that can give your reviewers in and that's just like a person that is on the game and is sending emails early on and so on and so on so you can do your own PR you can send emails to reviewers and mm. sort of like ask them to come see you 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 were a reviewer I guess like lots yeah. of performers they, they got in touch with so you want to your aim should be if you are not a household name just they get reviewers in because those reviewers would bump the the numbers of 
that of people that will come to see your show. In terms of like producers, everything that you can self-produce, uh, the more that you can self-produce, the better to save money. So apply to venues yourself, book yourself your previews. That's quite easy. Like I, I have already booked myself about eight previews at different small festivals before Edinburgh, and that didn't take that much of my time. Um, yeah. Instead of like paying a producer to book me those spots, yeah. So uh, usually you pay a producer, but they, it doesn't cover the cost of flyering as well. So you can sort out your own flyering. So if you get if you are like organized and I, and you're good with admin, it's worth considering whether you really need a producer. And usually getting a director, that is a good idea. It's good to have a second pair of eyes uh, to look at your show. But again, if uh, you can sort of like book someone to be your director or you can get a friendly provider, like a friend that you trust uh, their comedy vision to, to direct your show and that will be so much cheaper and you might get more out of it because you will feel more comfortable disagreeing with this person. So my advice is like, there are ways you don't have to spend £10,000. The thing about the venues is so hard because they're so expensive even the the free fringe ones you still have to pay the registration fees which is not great but um if you can get like a free venue in a good location that you have seen in previous years getting a lot of people in definitely go for that and in terms of like more established venues uh just the tonic is a good deal but uh, they are like people have had issues in terms of like they're not getting paid or like front of house not being there. Mm. So it's worth considering maybe venues like Gilda Ballo. I was with Gilda Ballo last year, very happy with them. Uh, Under Valley, the assembly also is amazing. And yeah, the pleasant is like the goal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, the diamond venue but that is so hard to get but the, you don't have to be at the Pleasance you can be at Gilda Balloon and get like lots of people in and get lots of attention from the industry for your show yeah uh, stay away from C venues <laughs> okay but uh, yeah don't don't go with C venues apparently they, they don't treat their, their staff very well which is not great and the the venues are not uh, like the standard of the venues are great so I guess that's my advice. I hope the venues that I have talked shit about. <laughs> yeah. I don't hear that. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I doubt. I, well, God, I can't say that now. This will be the one episode that blows up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Could you imagine? Um, did you get a chance to see much comedy? Yeah. I, I saw loads. I started, like, seeing Friends that were doing shows in Edinburgh just mm. to, to be supported. Like, every time that someone will go on Facebook and be like, oh, my God, I have a reviewer. I will go see their show and just, like, laugh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I saw, like, lots of, like, good stuff. It's just, it's so hard to, to say what show was my favorite because it also, like, becomes a blur. Yeah. I, like, I have, like, a general memory of having a great time but I don't know the specifics because <laughs> you see so many shows you yeah. don't really like remember all of them. But yeah, I saw like a lot of good stuff. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I can't really even list who like because I wasn't even there for that long. I think I was there for like ten days. I saw Frank Skinner, so I remember that. And then I saw this Irish guy that was really good. Who was it was actually on the podcast afterwards, so oh, it was really nice. cool. 
Yeah, but actually, didn't you do some like a preview with Tams and Kelly? Yeah, yeah. Beforehand. Did, yeah, we did a preview at the Canal Cafe before going to Edinburgh. Uh, that was like fun. And then I saw her show in Edinburgh when it was like all polished and ready. And I love it. In Edinburgh, did she have the river dance bit as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. How do you feel about that as no, an Irish? I, <laughs> no, it was really good. I saw it at Soho Theatre for the Soho Rising thing. Yeah. Oh, I felt. I just felt so nervous for her. That was the main thing. I think everybody oh. was on board because it's so ballsy to do, yeah. to kind of try and dance like, <laughs> like that in front of everybody. But oh my, yeah. Plus, it was nice. I like anything yeah. Irish, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to anyone that... So actually, that was one of my main questions I ask on on this podcast. What advice would you give to someone wanting to get into stand up comedy to just begin? Or also, what advice would you give if you could go back to your sixteen year old self? Okay, in terms of like advice that I could give to myself as a sixteen, actually, I actually just realized no, not just realized, but I recently, <laughs> I recently, I was like reflecting on my life as I do, <laughs> and I. Have realized that and actually living the life that 16 year old me wanted to live. So, 16 year old me picture myself as like having a good job, living in a big city, and like doing like something creative, like stand up comedy or like, not comedy, but theater. I thought that I would be doing theater in my free time, and and that's like what I'm doing right now I, I was like picturing myself as being one of the girls in Sex and the City living in New York so like, I don't live in New York I'm not, I'm not part of the Sex and the City gun but I live in London which is also mm. a big city and I'm like doing the scenes so 16 year old me will be very pleased I, I good. <laughs> which which sex, sex and the City girl did you want to be That's oh my question. god I'm such a Miranda I'm not afraid to say oh, really? I, I know I know I know it's not like the like sexiest choice, but I like Miranda. Yeah, yeah. I know so like Samantha, but I don't have like enough sex to justify being a Samantha. <laughs> I wanted to be Samantha, and then I moved here, and I like yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I know I know Miranda with with a sprinkle of Samantha. I hope. <laughs> yeah, advice I will give my sixteen year old self. That's what you ask. So my advice would be like not to do stuff that other people wanted me to do. Like my parents really pushed me to like do engineering and to get a proper job and do more of what I wanted to do. In, in retrospect, I think that I, I would have liked to work on a, uh, my day job is not in the arts. And that's something that bothers me a little bit because mm. I always think about how cool would it be to work in the arts full time. So I will have gone back to myself and be like, don't do what your parents want you to study. Just do something that, that you like because otherwise you're going to be a bit resentful with yourself for not taking that choice. Um, and in terms of like advice to people starting doing stand-up, I would say that uh, not to worry about progression in comedy. Don't don't worry about getting an agent just yet or industry stuff. Just worry about doing comedy that you're proud of, that you are happy with. Like putting something into the world that you can get behind, that you can sell. Because if you are putting... It, it sounds very idealistic, but if you have a... Pro, your comedy is sort of like a product and you have to be proud of it. 
you have to like you you have to put comedy into the world that you yourself will consume and if you have that product then people will get on board and then audience will get on board uh, industry will get on board if you are thinking strategically about i need an agent by this point and i need to be in this club by, by this point you are more likely to burn out because mm. when you realize that things are harder than you were expecting and that you are not hitting the star yet, you're going to bring yourself down. Well, all those things are, are so out of your control. You shouldn't worry about them. If they are meant to happen, they, they, will, they will happen. You should only worry about the things that are under your control. And your comedy is under your control, so you have to make sure that your comedy is good and you're proud of it. And like, not worry yeah, about agents and stuff. Is yeah, there's a lot of people that early on in their comedy career they get signed and they realize that they got signed a bit too early because they are put in a situation in which they have to do a panel show like do like a headlining spot and they're not putting the best work that they could put and they feel bad about themselves. Mm. Um, so. It's better to be in a position in which like, when those opportunities come along, you're fully ready to take advantage of those and make the most out of it in a way that you enjoy it um, and not burn out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't no, know. That's that's re- <laughs> that is really good advice, actually. <laughs> I think that that's one thing starting out, that we're doing this so young course now. You know, I've been talking to people in the course that want to do a full hour this year. But it's actually, I think that that would end up happening because if you give yourself these like time limits, I would either not be able to promote it properly or not have the content, the good enough yeah. content. Why did you decide to focus on space this year? For, for my job? Because I really love space. I like, yeah. it's a topic <laughs> that I'm very like, it, it just brings me so much joy to talk about it. So it's something that I can talk about for hours yeah. because I like I love it. I love to talk about it. I love the topic. And also it was like a show that, that was about space, but in a very silly way. And then sort of like I talk about how all I, I really wanted to work in a space-related industry when I was at university and I was doing engineering and then when I started my PhD and how... Like, I fell out of love with it because of a toxic environment during my PhD research. Because I wanted to shed light on this problem that people don't talk about, which is about how (laughs) graduate students that are working on research, they're basically employees working for an university and being managed by a supervisor. But because they're labeled as students, they don't have any labor rights, so they can be taken advantage of. And professors take advantage of graduate students, and they work long hours, uh, and then they get not they don't get treated well. They, there isn't like an HR department at yeah. universities that you can go to and complain about your professor, which is basically your boss. So I thought I, I just have a really bad experience during my PhD and I wanted to, to talk about it because I think that people don't talk about it much. I was like, very interesting because I will do my show uh, in front of all kind of people, but lots of people doing their PhD will come and see me and they will be nodding and like applauding and like giving me standing ovations after the show because I was just talking. I didn't go into much detail. I just like 
talk about it. Yeah. And they were like so thankful to hear someone talk about it because they they would come to me afterwards and be like, oh my God, I feel so validated because uh, I'm feeling like you felt when you were doing your PhD and uh, I felt really bad. Is it, Everyone's is sort of like a bit ashamed of like admitting that they're not ha- their, that their research is not going well. So yeah, it was just, it was a mix of like this really fun topic that I really like to talk about, which is space. And also this experience that happened to me that I wanted people to know about in case hearing about it will help anyone feel a bit better. And yeah, so that's why I picked the show about that. But now like lots of like sciencey comedy nights are like getting in touch with me to do sets at their nights. So I also like hit a niche, which is always like welcome. Yeah. <laughs> because like niche comedy get like is paid. <laughs> A bit better okay, <laughs> than cool. like normal comedy. Yeah, so, it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like bombing stories? Oh my god! Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I have so many. I have the my 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 comedy to silent rooms for <laughs> many many times. Uh, but I think like the worst uh, booming story that I have was uh, when I was like living in Cambridge and I was like getting into comedy. I decided to sign up for the King Gun, the comedy store, which is one of them. It's, it's very brutal. It's a very brutal comedy night. People are sort of like encouraged to, to heckle. And well, ha- the structure of the show is that you go on stage, you start doing a set, and then people in the audience have three cards. And if they raise all three cards, they go on you off. But while you're doing the set, everyone else in the audience is sort of like encouraged to heckle you. Oh. It's, it's really hard. Uh, so I, I sign up to do the king gun i was uh, I, I picked the halloween king gun okay and uh, <laughs> we got an email a couple of weeks before saying hey you're doing the halloween king gun just so you know like it would be very fun if you came in a costume you know because it's halloween audiences are gonna be in a costume and i was like right on so i put on this like a Scooby-Doo costume to have <laughs> a massive Scooby-Doo head. Oh, so, like, massive, massive Scooby-Doo head. I went into the train, very happily dressed as Scooby-Doo, went down to London because I was living in Cambridge at the time. I show up at the comedy store. None of the other art acts were wearing a costume. <laughs> I was, like, the only one. Uh, so I went on stage. I did 11 seconds of comedy. I got gone off. Oh. In those 11 seconds, I got heckled more than in my entire life. And why wouldn't they? <laughs> because I was, like, clearly obvious there. Oh, the dumbest act. <laughs> <laughs> so I got going off. Um, I left the stage feeling pretty bad about myself. And then I have to take the train back to Cambridge. <laughs> and this Kuwaita Costia, just like a really sad person in the train. In a <laughs> with a massive Scooby Doo head, so yeah, that was that was like the worst I have ever <laughs> bombed, I think. But the second time that I did the the King Gun two years later, I won the night. Oh, amazing! So things get better. Things yeah. get better. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't a sad Scooby Doo for long. <laughs> yeah, I'm never gonna show up to to again <laughs> in a costume ever again. That was my lesson. I, I also like have bombed really bad in Edinburgh. Uh, so in Edinburgh, like it's a roller coaster of emotions because you can get 
like an amazing audience one day and you can get like an awful audience the other day and you can do the same hour exactly the same to different audiences and it ha will have complete different reactions so the worst one that I did in Edinburgh it went really bad it was so bad that I felt like myself leaving my body like I, I felt like I was having an out of body experience while doing the set and I was like walking into the audience and watching myself bomb on stage and sort of like enjoying the entire experience because it was so bad it was delightful for me to be in that situation so I was doing my show no one was laughing everyone was hating it my show is 14 plus a family came with their clearly like younger children like eight or nine they were around that age they were told that this was a 14 plus show and they were like oh no we're cool children are cool with it but then every time that I would say something rude the parents would turn to the children and they would start explaining something to them oh god throughout the show out loud you know so I could like, like as if they were watching TV there was like a group of people that were like clearly not on board with me they heckled me when I said that I was bisexual apparently they have a problem with that so <laughs> fine but one of them will every time that I will tell a joke his reaction to every joke was yep <laughs> out loud so I will tell a joke he will be like yep like Aww. acknowledging the jokes there was like a group of people that sat at the back and when the people at the venue were like oh please sit at, at the front they were like no 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 we're sitting at the back because we want to go see another show in half an hour so we have to leave before the show finishes which is like why are you even here yeah like, you know uh, also like people pay at the end of the show so they are clearly one half an hour of free comedy and mm. like disrupt the show midway through so they can leave it was just awful 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 all around but that that comes to show that you can uh, and the day before it, it went great like it's just a lot of what comedy de depends on on the audience it, like comedy depends a lot on the audience giving you a reaction and I really don't understand people that go and see comedy just to not enjoy themselves. Yeah. With the idea that I'm going to go see the show, but I'm going to make them work to, to make me laugh. I'm not going to be up for it. They have to win me over. Hmm. I'm not here to enjoy myself. I'm here to be to have someone demonstrate that they're funny. And that's like not a good yeah. way to go see comedy. Definitely. Yeah. That's very like... Uh, so self-important yeah yeah and i think even like with hecklers i have the thing that you're never going to be funnier than a professional comedian no <laughs> you know so many hecklers try and make really bad jokes yeah they don't they just look stupid in front of everyone else yeah. because it, they put themselves in a situation which is so easy for a comedian to to put you down you know oh uh, yeah so. <laughs> Yeah, but if you, to anyone listening, if you want to go see comedy, just go because you want to enjoy yourself. Don't go to, like, be a judge in the X Factor. Yeah. <laughs> because you're going to have a bad time. The comedy is going to have a bad time. It's not going to be... No one's going to win if you, you're not up for it. Yeah. But yeah. Just don't go to... Just watch Netflix. <laughs> just watch netflix just, uh, stay home <laughs> yeah thank you so much for coming in today yeah thank you for having me i thought like i think like 
I've been talking. <laughs> no, it's been I'm amazing. <laughs> Actually, where can people follow you if they want to keep up with your oh, shows yeah. and what you're doing? So all my social media is Isa Bonachera all together. So that's like my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram. It's like Isa Bonachera. Like, check me out. I don't know. Check her out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.